Hey, welcome to Weekend Watchlist, a look at what's screening and streaming, brought to you by The Letterboxd Show. I'm Mia, they're Mitchell. Hello. And together, we'll dig through what's dropping this weekend, last weekend, recent trends on Letterboxd, and we'll also take a peek at our own watchlists, all under 30 minutes or your money back. Mia! Hello. Hello! It is... Wonderful to see you. As listeners might be able to guess, this is our first, first ever historic Slimless episode of Weekend Watchlist. How does it feel for you? Are you excited? Are you nervous? I miss Slim. He will be Slimmest. Oh, that's okay. I know. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I was just trying to make him feel included. Because I know he's yes. going to listen, and I want I want him to be included. Slim, you are always included. Everybody misses you. Here we go again for the first time. Me and Mia. This week we will be chatting about Thor: Love and Thunder, both sides of the blade, Marina, some community reviews, and I believe Mia, you have the answer to the question that has been plaguing us all: Who did frame Roger Rabbit? I have the answer. I solved the mystery. But we can't reveal that yet. You gotta, you gotta listen to the whole thing to figure it out. <laughs> You'll find out at the end. But first, first, you do have to listen through some Thor: Love and Thunder talk, directed by Taika Waititi. This is in theaters, three point five average, and on a whopping one hundred and one thousand watch lists. People are, people want to tune into this one. The synopsis for Thor: Love and Thunder. After his retirement is interrupted by Gore the God Butcher, a galactic killer who seeks the extinction of the gods, Thor enlists the help of King Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster, who now inexplicably wields Mjolnir as the mighty Thor. Together, they embark upon a harrowing cosmic adventure to uncover the mystery of the God Butcher's vengeance and stop him before it's too late. Mia, how are you feeling about the God Butcher? Christian Bale. Yes. Christian Bale. Christian Bale is in the movie. That's, that's, he's a great actor. <laughs> great actor. Has been in films? He has been in many films. Um, and those are, those are my thoughts on Gore the God Butcher. <laughs> I, I'm also interested in how Jane is inexplicably wielding Mjolnir. I like how that's part of the official synopsis is that it, it is inexplicable. Inexpli- inexplicable. Inexplicable. Yeah. You can't, we cannot, we cannot explain this. Um, Mitchell, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on Thor, Love, and Thunder? Interestingly, 101,000 watch list, perhaps controversially, not on either your or my watch list, Thor, Love, and Thunder. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not an MCU person, I would say. I have watched every single one of them <laughs> because for some reason I am just compelled. I, I have this interesting thing where I, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I was really into comics um, and I was like mercilessly bullied for being into comics as, you know, a teenager in like the early to mid 2000s. And now superheroes, the most popular thing in the world. I'm not into it anymore. And now I'm like uncool for not being into it. Or according to TikTok, I think I'm pretentious for liking uh, non-English language movies, I think <laughs> is the trend that's going around right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I know you you saw, so you're not, you're not super into the MCU either, but you did see Thor Ragnarok, right? So you're at least a little bit, you kind of have a little bit of awareness of what's going on here. Yes, I have a slight awareness. That is one of the only MCU films I've seen. I went and saw Thor Ragnarok um, because I was thirst watching for Kate Blanchett and I, I do not regret it. She looked awesome. 
ultimately, if people are having fun, then people are having fun, I guess. <laughs> Who am I to stomp on fun? Exactly. I do see a note in, in the doc here from Slim, uh, somehow getting getting his word in, despite not being on the episode this week, just has to be a part of it somehow. Random note from Slim, but the main villain, who I believe is called Gore the God Butcher, uh, if I if I recall correctly from the synopsis I read a few moments ago, is probably, according to Slim, the best modern Thor storyline in decades. <gasps> so, I mean, if if that's if that's what you're into, the best modern Thor storyline in decades, that's maybe a reason to sign up. We have some reviews that have been able to, to drop so far. I know the embargo on the official reviews just dropped uh, yesterday when we're recording this. David Chen calls the film a fun trifle, a Marvel film imagined as a fairy tale, an unwieldy mix of goofy comedy and, all caps, extremely serious elements, none of which are even hinted at in the trailers, as far as I can tell. Some of the iconography is really beautiful. It's fine. Glowing praise from David <laughs> <It's> Chen. <fine. laughs> Let's move on from the God Butcher to my heart butcher, my <laughs> beloved Claire Denis, whose new film, Both Sides of the Blade, is coming out in theaters this weekend. A 3.0 average currently on Letterboxd on 10,000 watch lists. So look out, Thor. Yeah, watch out. It's getting there. Just need one more digit and we're in. <laughs> we're so close, Claire. We are so close. Jean? and Sarah have been living together for 10 years. When they first met, Sarah was living with Francois, Jean's best friend and an admirer from back when he played pro rugby. Jean and Sarah love each other. One day, Sarah sees Francois on the street. He does not notice her, but she is overtaken by the sensation that her life could suddenly change. Francois gets back in touch with Jean. For the first time in years, he suggests they start working together again. From here on, things spiral out of control. This is one of those interesting films where like the synopsis is very detailed, but I also feel like it's a movie where you don't really need a synopsis because Claire Denis yeah. is so much about like visceralness in her films. It's not really about obviously like plot or narrative. It is just following the characters and like their emotions. I know you and I have both seen this film, you more recently than I did. So what, what were your thoughts on both sides of the blade? completely agree that yeah it does not need a synopsis it's all about it's so her films are so tactile mm -hmm. um and it's all it's all about feeling and um plot does not matter as much which i really appreciate um because american films can get very very plot heavy and kind of forget the emotion aspect um so i really admire that you know one one of the best parts of this job is sometimes you just have a, a new movie from Claire Denis sitting in your inbox and <laughs> it is truly like waking up to Christmas. It is awesome. So this one it's it's a real powerhouse trio of Claire Denis, Juliette Binoche and Vincent Lindon who are some of the best that French cinema and cinema in general has to offer. Um, so Both Sides of the Blade definitely feels like and is something that Claire and her crew kind of quickly cooked up during the pandemic. So at times it can feel more like a, a dramatic filmmaking exercise than like a full cohesive project. Um, but they're all just masters at what they do. Like it's it's Claire MF Denis, come on, <laughs> come on. And there's this, this brutal confrontation scene between uh, Juliet and Vincent. Um, that is totally unforgettable. So I, I do think that if you are a fan of Claire's work and French cinema, um, it's definitely worth a watch. If you are not a fan of Claire yet, 
uh, go check out Bo Travai. You'll become a fan and then go watch this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely like she is one of those directors who she's one of my like top five directors of all time. I love her work. She is a person who I think that people kind of either get on the wavelength or not on the wavelength. She has a very particular kind of style to her. So Both Sides of the Blade definitely is like a film where if you are a fan of Claire Denis, I think you're going to love it. If you're not, you know, maybe maybe you won't get as into it. But as you said, that powerhouse, you know, I mean, that confrontation scene between the two of them, like even if you are not super into what Claire Denis is doing in general, if you need like a little bit more like a concrete plot to follow, the performances should suck you in no matter what. It definitely feels like like she took those constrictions of the pandemic and still made it work for the film. Mm-hmm. Like the, it feels a lot like a play in a lot of scenes, especially in that scene where it's like all of the emotions that have been contained for the entire film are just unleashed. And it is like, like I, I saw the film back in March and I'm still reeling from that scene, especially I can't let it go. So I had the opportunity to interview both Claire Denis and Juliette Binoche about the film back in March. We'll be publishing those on Journal soon, which I'm very excited about. Juliette Binoche, my favorite actor of all time. So That's so cool. Were you just like freaking it and melting down? I would be. <laughs> I, yeah, it was like I had, so I had 30 minutes with both of them and I like opened up, like I had to like not open up um, crying and just being like, hello, hello, I'm in love with you. I mean, I love you. I mean, sorry, great film, great work on the film. I am a professional, believe it or not. I am here to do my job. But you, I know, so speaking of favorite actors, Claire Denis, her previous film, also with Binoche, had your beloved Mm -hmm. Robert Pattinson, who I believe if I'm seeing my notes here correct, you are currently engaged to Robert Pattinson. We are engaged. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is, I'm publicly announcing it. Um, This is the announcement. Yeah, this is the (laughs) announcement. I'm announcing it on this podcast on Weekend Watch List. I felt that it was the correct avenue. (laughs) We have another movie coming out about being in love in beautiful European waters. Marina, directed by Antonetta Alamat Kusinovich. In theaters, 3.5 star average rating and 6,000 watch lists. The synopsis for this one, a teenage girl decides to replace her controlling father with his wealthy foreign friend during a weekend trip to the Adriatic Sea. You and I both watched this. So I watched this yesterday. You watched it bright and early. First thing this morning, starting the morning off with Marina. How how did that start your morning today? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. It made me really need to go to the Adriatic Sea. It is it Mm. is hot in L.A. And that is what (laughs) I was thinking no, this is this is, was a very beautiful, beautiful film. Um, I'm always a sucker for movies about people having uh, messed up relationships on vacation, right? Uh, <laughs> like uh, such as Claire's Knee, a classic in that in that subgenre. So good. And I also really enjoy explorations of young women's misguided desires, um, such as Stoker. So right. Yeah, so of course I was gonna gonna enjoy this one. Yeah, I Criterion Channel had a collection, I think like last year or two years ago called Bad Vacations that had like long I Claire's knee might have been in there, like Long Weekend was in there, um Comfort of Strangers was in there, stuff like that. Like I think about like Us, another like great movie about just like a ter- like a vacation gone like horribly wrong. Um and yeah, Marina definitely for for me, Slim and I talked about Clara Sola last week, which Slim coined the term simmering cinema. And I feel like Marina fits very much into that oeuvre as well. It is like 
a movie that has this tension that's kind of boiling underneath like the entire time, but it it and it never really fully necessarily comes like overflowing the same way that something like both sides of the blade does, where it really feels like the the top is taken off of it in the climax there. It's just Marina is just kind of like settling in the entire time and it makes you feel like something really bad is about to happen, like at any moment. And it's also got the wealthy foreign friend is played by the great Cliff Curtis, who speaking of hot in L.A., Cliff Curtis, a very, very attractive man. I don't I do not blame this young woman for seeing that man and being like, that is my new father, not this Mm -hmm. guy who's being very rude to me, not treating me very kindly. That man, my mother should be with that man immediately. Or maybe I should be with him. Either either one works. Yes, again, again, Stoker vibes, one of my favorites. <laughs> very, very Stoker vibes. Great, another another great movie. Another great movie. Also, also, Marina is executive produced by the great Martin Scorsese. A man with taste. Exactly, and it won the Camera d'Or at Cannes 2021. So it is highly acclaimed. I, I recommend it. I, I really did enjoy it. Beautiful. Yeah, and we've got some reviews here from people who have been able to see it. I want to shout out uh, Liam's review on Letterboxd. You know that moment when you're watching a film and then boom, the credits start to roll and you can tell in that moment that you've just watched something that is going to stay with you for quite some time. Yeah, this film just did that for me. I'm pretty astounded right now. That's high praise, I'd say. Yeah, I also enjoyed um, Shane Slater's review that was a nifty riff on the handsome visitor destabilizes a family unit narrative. <laughs> so, so <laughs> true. That's another one of my favorite little subgenres, The Beguiled. Another great movie another. with a very handsome man. Vis- uh, yes. Two very handsome men, depending on which one you're watching. That yes, you exactly, exactly. Yes. One more review from Monab. Evil Mamma Mia. <laughs> Here we go again. I wanted to shout out yeah. <laughs> uh, one last review for from Guy Montgomery. Maybe my one of my favorite letterbox reviews I've read in a very long time. Guy says, there's this character in the movie called Javi. And the whole time I was watching it, I kept thinking, is that Cliff Curtis playing Javi? I mean, there's no way that is Cliff Curtis. But whoever is playing Javi sure looks a hell of a lot like Cliff Curtis. Eventually, I realized it wasn't Cliff Curtis and started watching the movie without the whole Cliff Curtis thing hanging over me. And then at the end of the movie, I found out it had been Cliff Curtis the whole time. So, I mean, Marina, you know, you don't expect Marina to have a twist, but the big twist of Marina is it's Cliff Curtis, baby. That's Cliff Curtis. It is a twist. Well, Mia, let's let's think about. A quick look back at the previous week, you know, let's let's take a look at some things we want to shout out from what we've been seeing the last week or anything from this week that, you know, we want to give a mention that we haven't spoken about yet. Mia, what are some things that you want to call out? I want to spotlight Fire of Love. It is a new documentary getting great reviews. It's from Neon and National Geographic. Cute little team up there. It's getting some awesome reviews. It's directed by Sarah Dosa. It is in theaters now. Katya and Maurice Kraft loved two things, each other and volcanoes. For two decades, the daring French volcanologist couple were seduced by the thrill and danger of this elemental love triangle. They roamed the planet, chasing eruptions and their aftermath, documenting their discoveries in stunning photographs and breathtaking film to share with an increasingly curious public in media appearances and lecture tours. Ultimately, Katya and Maurice would lose their lives during the 1991 volcanic explosion on Japan's Mount Unzin, but they would leave a legacy that would forever enrich our knowledge of the natural world. (sighs) That is, 
that's a, that's a pretty big sell, I think. It is. I so I saw it at um, Sundance, and I definitely. It's it's got a lot of beautiful imagery. The the volcanoes themselves, lots of nice magma um, going on. It, I believe that's the scientific term. I I know stuff about volcanoes. I've watched <laughs> Fire of Love, and it just it's like gorgeous watching it. And I think that um, I watched it with my partner Sam, whose letterbox review uh, referring to this gorgeous lava just says so many forbidden snacks, <laughs> which I think is. It's accurate. Watching Fire of Love, it does content warning, I suppose, for Fire of Love. You are going to want to drink lava because it just looks so delicious. It does. Think about it. Think think about it. <laughs> but I did want to shout out that our midway year in review is up now on Journal and featured in the latest episode of the main Letterbox show with Jack's Facts own Jack Moulton as the guest this week with Gemma and Slim talking about his four faves and the year on Letterboxd so far with that mid-year top 25 films like Everything Everywhere All at Once, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Top Gun Maverick, RRR, all lining up on that list. So definitely check out that episode. Check out the article on Journal. Mia, halfway through the year, what's, what's your favorite film of 2022 so far? After Yang. After Yang. That was Slim's after pick Yang. as well. Big After Yang heads on weekend watch list. You, yeah, you're a huge After Yang head. Yes, I. it, it is one of the most um, affecting, beautiful films I've seen in a long, long time. I had not given out a five star since Portrait of a Lady on Fire in 2019, I believe. So um, I am so, so grateful for After Yang, especially as um, a mixed Asian woman. Um, it, it explored interracial family dynamics in a way that I had never seen before, um, never before seen it explored so meticulously and so and in such a validating way. Um, I was like on the verge of tears the whole movie. Plus, there's a Mitski song in it that made there's me crazy. Mitski Mitski's in it. Colin Farrell's in it. It was made for me. And Koganada. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I just I love After Yang. I wish it had gotten. Um, a little bit bigger release, but that's okay. Yeah, shame that it didn't get a bigger a bigger push on the release. But after Yang, currently sitting at number fifteen on Letterboxd's top uh, twenty five, top fifty of the year so far. It's in that mid year in review. It is also one of my favorites of the year. I saw it at Sundance. I watched it again. I spoke to Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner Smith and Coganada about it. It's, I mean, it's a film that I think resonates really deep on the Letterboxd show. I think Slim and Jack both described watching it as like therapy. It's like such a therapeutic film to watch. And I couldn't agree anymore. Like it feels like you are going through some sort of like significant life change. Well, let's bump those after Yang numbers up. We can get it up from 15 up to the top five, I think. Um, so let's check in on the Letterbox top 50 of 2022 list to see what is at the top of the list for things released this year. Again, after Yang should be number one. That's okay, though. Uh, we have a few holdovers from last year's festival rounds that are getting their first national release in 2022. The highest one is the Canadian drama Scarborough at number 22, which debuted at 2021 TIFF and made our crew roundup of the best of the fall fests. It moved a few members of our team for sure and came out in Canada on February 25th. Just crossed 1,000 views. Let's check in on our own watch list. Let's head into 
our section of the podcast where we use to talk about our own watch lists. We shuffle them. This is our first time doing this together as it's our first episode together, me and mm-hmm. you. But last time you were on with Slim, you and your watch list shuffle got who framed Roger Rabbit. So Mia, who did it? I can't tell you. I'm going to withhold the information. I'm going to with, I know. Here's the thing. I know perfectly well <laughs> who framed Roger Rabbit. But but I think ultimately, I guess I would have to blame California's terrible public transit system. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't realize this was a pro-public transit movie and how important public transit is. But um, as an L.A. resident, I really appreciated it. I didn't realize this was Chinatown. They made Chinatown into a live-action animated hybrid cartoon. I actually had not seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, Cruelly, cruelly, I had not seen it either. And when I knew that you and I were doing this together today and that this was your pick, I said to myself that this is the time. This is the time to shine. Let's knock Who Framed Roger Rabbit off my own watches. So listeners, listeners might not know Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but both Mia and Mm -hmm. I know damn well who did it and you know you're not gonna believe who did it but who did something bob hoskins did something to all of our hearts and our libidos i believe as did jessica rabbit hubba hubba wow wowie kazowie my eyes are popping out of my head i'm bonking myself with a hammer right now jessica rabbit if I were 11 years old watching this, I would have spontaneously combusted. <laughs> Jessica Rabbit, I believe, a sexual awakening for a lot of people. This was actually a thing that I felt. So, Mia, you and I recently participated, were, were happy to participate in a, um, a monthly trivia event with our friends, put together by our friends over at the Film Spotting Podcast. And during the course of the night, you very courageously revealed to about 50, 60 people that you had a crush on Marlon, um, Nemo's yes. father in, in the film Finding Nemo, who I believe is a clownfish? Yes, and he's so a little I, clownfish. <laughs> watching, watch, again, kudos to you for having the courage to, to you. you know, reveal your truth in that way. It's a safe space. It was a safe space. I felt safe. It was a very, a, nurture, a nurturing space, as is Weekend Watchlist. You mentioned Jessica Rabbit here, and I was curious, watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if there were any other, you know, animated creatures who, who did that certain special something for you during the film. There, there are, oh, during this one, I thought you just meant in general. I was like, there's a long, long, there's long list, one. starting with the rat from Flushed Away. Very. But this one... <laughs> For Who Friend Roger Rabbit, it was mostly Jessica Rabbit. I mean, I'm having an awakening now at the age of 26 after seeing that. I'm like, where has she been all my life? Um, so yeah, I, 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 she could be being added to the marriage list soon. Yeah. Of, um, move, move over, Colin Farrell. Sorry, buddy. Um, anyway, I want to say this really bad. Forget it, Roger. It's Toontown. That's all, that's all you need. I I was That's all I have to say. Well, my speaking of movie crushes, I so my watch list pick for this week was The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, another very fun thing to say, which featured Jeff Goldblum dressed as a little cowboy, almost as if Jeff Goldblum dressed as a cowboy in Buckaroo Banzai doesn't look like an actual like adult cowboy. He looks kind of like if a child was being a cowboy for Halloween, which I found just delightful. It is 
a very bonkers movie. I watched it back to back with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is like the most like 80s, like double feature I could possibly imagine. It is it is a wild, wild movie that feels like they just like threw everything at the wall to see what sticks. And for me, most, I mean, most of it does. John Lithgow doing like a maniacal villain with like an absolutely gonzo accent. The slim, the slim approved Peter Weller is Buckaroo Banzai himself. There are musical sequences that I deeply wish that we had more of in the film and more in general. It's like, I mean, it's definitive 80s to me, Buckaroo Banzai. And it ends with a promise of a sequel coming soon. And that sequel, of course, never happened, which is a bummer because I would love to see more Buckaroo Banzai, maybe a little bit less Marvel Cinematic Universe. (laughs) I would rather have a thousand Buckaroo Banzai. You had me at musical number. It's, It's a trip. But let's, Mia, let's move into, there are some people, you know, every week we shuffle our own watch list, but there are people shuffling their watch list along with us, tagging their reviews weekend watch list. Do you want to shout out a few of the people who have uh, shouted out some reviews this week? Of course. Paul's review of Before Sunrise, which is now streaming on the Criterion channel for summer. This film restored my love for love. The charismatic and romantic chemistry of Hawk and Delpy is without question the best I've ever seen. No other pairing comes close. There is so much detail and care put into how their conversations were written, but also felt so fluid and real. Absolutely, Paul. One of the best. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and very summer vibes. A very summer vibe movie series, really, the Before Trilogy. Check it out if you haven't seen it. I, w- I want to shout out one of my best friends in the world, Trip Burton, reviewed Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Trip says, whoever said that anything is unfilmable can take a lesson or two from this film. All it takes is some real artistry. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly captures interiority better than perhaps any film I've seen, managing to be both completely realistic and expressionistic at the same time a marvel. Okay, one more one more review, just because I love this movie. Ned's review of Victor slash Victoria. Julie Andrews is a god. Yes. That's it. That's all you need to say. Victor slash Victoria is awesome also. Check it out. Check it out. Mia, let's, let's do the thing. Let's shuffle our watch lists. <gasps> you know, let's head it's into time. our own watch list. We will sort by shuffle. I'll filter by service stream only, and then we will select our films that we are going to watch the next time that we are on the pod. Mia, what what film did you arrive at? Shuffle. Oh, fun. Okay. Oh my God. Wait, this is this is funny because it is this film is directed by my clownfish crush Albert Brooks. <gasps> Defending Your Life, Defending Your Life, 1991. Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. Just a delightful film. Albert Brooks, your your man, is one, just a delight, and two, he's a great director. I feel like people, if you haven't gotten on the Albert Brooks as a director train, Lost in America is fantastic. Modern Romance is one of my favorite films of all time. Defending Your Life definitely stacks up there with them, so. Real Life is awesome, too. Real, yeah, real life, real life, so prescient, real mm-hmm. life. My my pick, actually, okay. So my pick is a film that I maybe, <sighs> I'm bravely announcing that I have not seen this yet because it's it's a recent big hit that I just have not caught up with but have been meaning to. 
Steven Spielberg's West Side Story from last year. I have not. Last year, I was in. I was in a daze. There was a lot of going on. It was only in theaters for a while, which I'm I'm not able to go to theaters right now. So I didn't catch it during the the mad rush last year, and it's been sitting on my watch list. It is on HBO Max, and I think still Disney Plus now. Yeah, Disney Plus as well. So I will be checking out. Finally, finally, I got the push here for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Very excited to see it. Mia, what do you think of West of Spielberg's West Side Story? Oh. The Ansel Elgort of it all is really, really hard to get past because the movie yes. itself, I think, is is great. Um, everyone's giving incredible performances except for a certain someone. And uh, <laughs> so I, I really wish they had cast somebody else. But other than that, it is it is um, really, really gorgeous. That's Spielberg. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> and I will find out mm-hmm. about more of that very soon. Thanks so much for listening to Weekend Watchlist brought to you by The Letterbox Show. You can follow Mia Mitchell, that's me, and our HQ page on Letterbox using the links in our episode notes. If you had the time, maybe consider rating the podcast on Spotify or leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the show. Thanks to our crew and thanks to Letterboxd member Trent Walton for the theme music, Eyes On. Thanks to Jack for the facts and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And to you for listening. Weekend Watchlist is a Tape Deck production. This, this, this is a Tape Deck podcast.